1: You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. 17 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock on a Thursday, Jake Query, Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton, good morning to you. It's the appropriately named Kevin and Query program here on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. And um, yesterday was, you know, listen, especially last night, it was a gorgeous night, the weather was great, but... You felt like there was, like, an extra pep in your step. You always want to win the press conference. Isn't that what they say, Kevin? And, you know, I think the thing that probably is befuddling to a lot of people is the dichotomy of the fact of, like, hey, the Colts won the press conference with Jeff Saturday. I mean, like, he was great. And then it's like, but I don't know. Did they need that, like, in the middle of the season? Sure. Fine. You know, I think the Colts think that they're still playing to salvage this season. I think everybody else is like, no, it's probably more just to see what you got moving forward. But uh, either way, he
2: said some pretty interesting things. Certainly, a different type of leader. Um, and again, I think the results of the Colts this season would indicate uh, Frank Reich's message was just not resonating to the degree that maybe it once was and, and a tad stale and I think it's a 180 in terms of personality energy all of those things with Jeff Saturday obviously uh this is the honeymoon period he's the new boyfriend everybody loves him and once he gets to Sunday uh those results will you know impact at some level again I think he's been thrown into quite the uh, awkward and not ideal situation from a coaching standpoint but that's what he's walking into. Uh, as far as Sunday is concerned, uh, I thought Saturday had an interesting answer on aggression yesterday. And I guess this goes back to maybe Jim Irsay's, um shot at analytics on Monday night, which I thought was indirectly a shot at Frank Reich. Uh, Frank Reich certainly was or was one of the more aggressive coaches when it came to fourth down in the NFL. Uh, the league has kind of trended that way, but Frank, I think, is at... Um, the more aggressive end of the spectrum. Here was Jeff Saturday on that yesterday.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, listen, I'm a, I'm an O lineman, bro. I work awfully hard to get points. I'm gonna take points. I'm not, I, you know, I am not. a I am not a. Uh, it's a hard. It's a hard living. You know, it's a hard living in there, man.
2: I love how he does say "bro" a lot. I kind of thought to myself when he said that, Jake. I feel like offensive linemen want to go for it on 4th and inches. Don't they always kind of look to the sideline and they're always, you know, pointing to go like, hey, we can get this. You know, we can control the line of scrimmage. No, that's a good point. We can get the 10 inches. But I think also
1: there probably is some truth to the fact of like, listen, Jeff Saturday is going to have an understanding, and I'm not saying Frank Reich doesn't, but I think Jeff Saturday is probably going to have an understanding of when the players in the trenches have hit that wall on that drive or just, like, at the point of, like, listen, everything scratching and clawing to get us down to the 17-yard line to go for it on fourth and three and get nothing would be totally deflating for my guys, so let's just get three and reset the table. You know what I mean? Got to like that if you're Chase McLaughlin, right? Yeah, absolutely. I did ask him... I would say if you have Chase McLaughlin on your fantasy team to be uh, ready, but the last time I heard that, it was for Naeem Hines. So, you know. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs)
2: Right? Uh, Be careful what you wish for, I guess, with that. Um, I did ask Jeff yesterday, like, any other staff changes? Because think about it, Jake. I mean, Marcus Brady and Frank Reich are gone. They've only replaced one of the two. So, you could. You know, he could hire somebody else if he wanted to. Um, He said no. I did find it interesting and Potentially a bit scary um, because I followed up and said, you know, will you be more involved offensive line wise? And he he said not necessarily. He said that he's been working with Chris Strasser in the past. As the paid consultant. So, um, again, I don't know wholesale wise if we're going to see significant offensive line changes. Uh, the fact that Saturday and Strasser have been working together, obviously not to the degree that they're now working together, but that probably isn't the greatest reflection of how your offensive line has played this season. And when he said that, it got my mind thinking, do you remember a few years ago, Frank? Or, I just called you Frank. Sorry, Jake. Do you remember a few years <laughs> Wait, ago? He has the same kind of watch that I do. <laughs> we had that discussion. When they brought in um, Howard Mudd. Yeah. Obviously, Howard Mudd and Jeff Saturday, extremely close. Chris Strasser had a relationship with Howard Mudd. So I do think that, like, Jeff Saturday clearly thinks that Chris Strasser is a decent football coach. I mean, I know that a lot of us are in shock that Chris Strasser is still here, considering how your O-line is played. And Jim Mercey's comments the other night, Hey, we got the right personnel there. Okay, then what does that say about your position, coach? Um, But Bernard Ryman at left tackle. We'll see if there are any other changes up front. Uh, But again, it doesn't sound like, and just watching Jeff at practice yesterday, it was much more of a I just need to make sure I'm, you know, walking to every position group, I'm shaking hands, this sort of thing. It's not like the O line went to the, you know, left corner that they always go to at the start of practice. It's not like Saturday went right over there and all of a sudden became their new O line coach.
1: When did Quentin Nelson have surgery,
2: Kevin? Uh, or, or on what? He had three surgeries in about a nine-month period, not leading into this season, but the previous season. Um, I think it was a hip. Was there a pectoral or something I, in there? I, I was going to say back. I, I know. Okay. I apologize for being a little vague on this. And then I, then the one that we all know is remember him and Carson Wentz. You know, broke their respective foots right on back-to-back days and training camp. I, I believe feet feet be right,
1: right. just their respective feet wouldn't that be right but does that mean they broke both of them that's a good question i think if you're talking about the foot of one guy and the foot of another then that's two foots which would mean feet like i don't know that feet has to be necessarily and that would be exclusive the, to one person so that's the lower quartile of your body it's the lower quartile of in the in the quartile, actually, it's more like the third because you have the, the thorax, the abdomen, and the head, so it's like the you have trio. That's rare air. <laughs> that is rare air. But is Quentin Nelson healthy?
2: Um, I think he is healthier than he was entering last season, but I think the general wear and tear from last year I think is starting to The body now four or five years into the NFL is not what the body was year two or three. And and The guy that you see it the most with, Jake, is Ryan Kelly. Easily Ryan Kelly. But I think Ryan Kelly and Quentin Nelson in particular, based off what you're paying them, have not lived up to that. Well, there's no question. I
1: I thought it was interesting yesterday when we had Chap, Mike Chappell on. And I was asking Chappell because this is the one thing that is fascinating to me. I, I am convinced... There are guys that know football a hell of a lot more than I do. I mean, I played at Eastwood Middle School. We were undefeated two years in a row, mind you. And I was an offensive lineman. Thank you very much. Um, and that's the extent, you know, I I don't pretend to be Jeff Saturday. I don't pretend to be Rick DeMoling, Ryan Deem, Rick hurry I mean, guys that have been around the game a lot. But I think even those guys are a little bit bewildered over what exactly has, has been the key ingredient that has been missing... From the 2022 Colts, and but I think most can say it's the offensive line. But what broke down on the offensive line? And Jake, when I ask Chapel, I think it's every position. It is. I, it's hard to argue that. I mean, they they have broken down everywhere, right? But when I ask Chapel, in terms of the offensive line, you have talented guys that we know have played well in the NFL. Braden Smith has had ties where he played really well. Ryan Kelly's had times played really well. Quentin Nelson earned himself a $20 million contract. So there there are your three staples right there. I realized the most important position of all was the one that like, they just thought that they were going to be able to go to Perkins and buy it out of one of those crane machines for a buck at left tackle. But when I began asking Chap, what is the one key? I, I said, Chap, where on the offensive line there ha- is there a certain position piece that is is there a piston that's misfiring and it's causing the rest of the engine to struggle and without hesitation chapel like almost interrupted me and goes yeah you're talking about q and i'm thinking well i i wasn't necessarily going specifically i, I didn't know but i found it interesting that mike chapel who is very plugged in and talks to a lot of people Immediately that was his like natural default answer. Almost like is that the conversation that's taking I'm not trying to quote that on chap,
2: but I'm saying no, is there to... something going on yeah. with Quentin Nelson? You're on to something. Yes, you are. But I'll reiterate what I just said a few minutes ago, Jake. You look at what Eric Fisher gave you at left tackle versus what you've gotten at left tackle this season. Right. Let's say Eric Fisher was a C last year. You're now getting D minus. Correct. Go over to Nelson. A minus last year. C-plus this year. Go to Kelly. B last year, C-minus. I'm just throwing out some grades here. Right guard, honestly, might be the biggest drop-off. From what Chris Reed and Mark Glowinski gave you consistently, particularly in the run game, and now, you know, you're right guard. The third different one you've tried this season just got benched again on Sunday that's been the biggest drop-off I'd say of any of them so Nelson obviously has the fanfare the all-pro the you know greatest offensive lineman since X all of that so he gets more of that but I think you can go across the line with all of them and that's why I would disagree with Ursay, who was so adamant last night or two nights ago in his conversation with Bob Kravitz and Mike Chappell that they have the right personnel I, I I would I would disagree I mean clearly you've tried three different left tackles and three different right guards so, yeah. I think that would indicate a little bit otherwise. 8 o'clock hour coming up here on Kevin and Query. We can get back into some of the Pacers conversation. Scott Agnes going to join us at 8.30. Zach Kiefer at 9 o'clock. A kind of an interesting Benedict and Tyrese Halliburton story that I want to touch on a little bit here in the 8 o'clock hour as well. Very nice start to this Thursday morning. Thank you for tuning in. Kevin and Query, 93.5 on a 7.5. The Fan. 28 minutes before
1: the hour of 9 o'clock, just an hour and 28 minutes before Mitch.
3: Did you know St. Jude has one of the largest pediatric sickle cell programs in the country? St. Jude freely shares the discoveries they make, and every child saved at St. Jude means doctors and scientists worldwide can use this knowledge to save thousands more children everywhere. Join me today in helping to fight sickle cell disease by becoming a partner in hope. Call now, 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: It's here, and then we'll know the answer. <laughs> I right? I can't believe we want to call her name Mitch. <laughs> we got one guy named Mitch. Somebody emailed me too, though, and was like, hey, I can make it down there by 10 if you want. My name is Mitch, if that helps. Well, we'll see. Uh, last night at the Fieldhouse, Pacers Nuggets. Denver's got a good roster, and uh, the Pacers played really, really well against them, leading by I think it was either seventeen or nineteen at the half and holding on down the stretch. Scott Agnes joins us now from Fieldhouse Files to talk about that and more with um, about the Pacers last night. Scott, I thought personally one of the the only frustrating thing for me last night in that game, the only was I felt like they shelved Benedict Mathurin too long in the fourth quarter and waited until too late to put him back in. Am I being too critical?
0: No, I don't think so. That was one of the things I wanted to go back and watch, kind of that the third quarter, which is really key, um, because the one thing I was going to point out, I thought that really was tough for them, was you had Jokic pick up his what fourth foul uh, with you know one minute into that third quarter, this foul didn't play the rest of the third quarter, and the Pacers were outscored by, what, nine points?
2: Yeah. I thought the that was critical. exact opposite that of the second quarter. Critical.
0: Yeah, yeah, he missed so much time. You go back, he didn't play, uh, he barely paid, played 20 minutes in the game, and was still, you look at his final stat line, you wouldn't know it, because he ended up scoring like 11 points in the fourth quarter, ended up with 24. I thought I felt like that was really a, a big missed opportunity, but... No, at first glance, I would agree, Jake, that the, the game Benedict was having, perhaps you, you put him back in there a little bit earlier and let him run. He, he's not tired out there.
2: And I feel like, I don't know, he just he can help you out a little bit more against the zone than Jalen Smith. And I feel like teams are starting to zone the Pacers a little bit more in the fourth quarter. Again, Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Um, we were talking a little bit earlier, and – I feel like what has impressed me maybe more than any about Benedict Matherin early on, Scott, is how he's bounced back, um, bounced back from sloppy possessions, from poor halves, and then last night just bouncing back from Monday. I, I, I feel like sometimes you see rookies, and we saw du, uh, Duarte last year. I mean, he can you get into slumps, multiple game slumps, multiple sure. week slumps. And I know we're early; we're only eleven games into it. But Matherin just bounces back so well. No, I
0: would completely agree, KB. I mean, his mindset and the fact, I mean, I think it's a word that Rick Carlisle has repeated many times, but both for him and Andrew Nimhar is that they're unfazed. I think they have the ultimate confidence in themselves, the know-how in themselves. That that was something we were, all, I think, all watching, right? It's, it's, it wasn't even Benedict was awful. He just had a tough night the other night. One for six shooting, didn't quite have it. Other guys did. And so also to his credit, it's not like he forced it or anything because I think he only took eight shots um, in that one and, and didn't see many of them fall. In this one, though, you could really tell this team needed something because the starters did not have it to start the game. And it ended up being Ben in that second unit. Isaiah to Jack, Jake's point as well uh, played very well and helped provide that big spark in that second quarter, 18-2 to two to start the second. Then that led to a double-digit lead after trailing very big early. That, yeah, to your point, I, I think this is exactly what the Pacers saw in Benedict. It's still though, considering you know how young he is and being a rookie. You know, we're all we're used to seeing something else, and so far he's went against the norms for. What we see from young and inexperienced players,
2: Scott. We got a uh, listener send in a question a little bit earlier about Miles Turner and just kind of this new role that he's in. Could it reinvigorate him? Could it all of a sudden open his eyes to maybe being here long term? With how you know Miles and how he's wired, could you see that happening? Because uh, I think you would need a change of heart, maybe based off, um, you know, how he looks at the pending free agency coming up uh, and also obviously the Pacers would have to decide internally that they would feel confident that they could resign re, re-sign him um, and not just lose him in free agency
0: Absolutely, first of all it goes both ways there's got to be that mutual agreement for, for something that you can get done, however you look at it from the outside and you see, look the Pacers they got enough front court players right now, too many actually and especially if you want to get Isaiah and Jalen more minutes, more opportunity, that complicates things a little bit. And Miles, on the other hand, I, I consider his situation. I, I think he's probably curious what it's like playing for a different franchise. He's spent all eight seasons here. I think he, he's, like Victor Oladipo before him, is interested in, to get to free agency and, and be able to kind of choose his destination and also maximize his, his value, is his hope. This will probably be his last big contract. I think, and, and so you're looking to do something big there. And then on top of that, he hadn't experienced the playoffs very much lately. So I think he wants – it seems like he's motivated to, to be on a winning team that gets a lot more exposure because to that point, that, that reflects well on the team and usually him because he's been frustrated at the end of each season where as he thinks he has good years and you know maybe leads the league in blocks, He's not even top five in votes for defensive player of the year or a consideration for second team, uh, you know, all NBA, those sorts of things. Um, that, that has bothered him in the past. Um, but what he was able to do earlier this week, two games ago, that was special, and I, that's what I even wrote about. And It wasn't even his point total, his assists, rebounds. It was how he played, his demeanor, his assertiveness, and that's what we need to see more of.
1: Scott Agnes is our guest. Fieldhouse Files is where you can read him. He's on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Scott Pacers going into last night had won two in a row. They were both you know pretty impressive wins. Particularly over Miami is a good win. They looked good for ninety percent of the game against Denver, who's one of the top teams I think in the West, and came in at seven and three. Is Indiana ahead of schedule here in terms of these young players coming together? and playing pretty formidably, or are the Pacers seeing teams that themselves are using the Pacers on the schedule as a roster or or lineup experimentation evening?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, I think Denver very well could come out of the West. Yeah, they're really good. That's what I think fans have to understand. Like, that's a contending team you saw last night. It, and I felt bad for fans, and selfishly, I was disappointed. Like, when you have a, a Hall of Fame level player like Jokic, like LeBron Giannis, last thing you want to do is see him sit on the bench and be taken out of the game by the officiating and, and things like that. But nonetheless, um, I, I would say they're, they're slightly ahead and surprised even themselves a little bit. I mean, I know players have talked about having internal expectations, filtering out the outside, you know, it's all, all that matters is what's inside the building, that sort of thing. But I'm not sure you could you could have even predicted that a guy like Matherin, for example, is coming in and having multiple 30-point games in the first 10 games of the season, and, and Nemhard starting two games. They've they picked up the slack. They've done quite well. The team's relatively healthy. They've averted some trouble. And even with Neesmith missing time, Torte missing time, the fact that they were having a 500 record going into last night uh, was certainly above any kind of expectations.
2: Again, Scott Agnes with us from Fieldhouse Files. Um, is kind of daily, or I should say kind of nightly rundowns from each game. A great read over there on Fieldhouse Files. I know a popular question from fans right now, Scott, has been Benedict Matherin into the starting lineup. I. I as long as his minutes stay right up there with anybody else on the team, I don't have a huge issue with it. Obviously, the team's getting off the poor starts, so maybe you That's can right. try and kind of flip that by putting him in the starting lineup. Uh, but will you just kind of explain Rick Carlisle's answer behind why Matherin is not starting?
0: Yeah, he was asked again about it last night, and he kept it short before expanding on it. it was like, well, what's best for the team? And I think for one there's a little bit of a belief that players need to earn it a little bit, needs to experience the league a little bit, and, and those sorts of things. But I think mostly it comes down to this. One, he can be the featured guy off the bench, and that's really good, really important. He can kind of be that showcase player where he's getting more of the touches. The plays are designed for him, whereas with that starting unit, I don't know, what is he, two or three, four, maybe, behind Hall- Halliburton, Heels whether it's Dorte or, or um, you know, Miles Turner got the first play call the other night, for example, things like that. Um, I like how he can be that featured guy. And so you also want to keep healed in that starting lineup, especially if you're trying to showcase him and make sure he has good nights as well, by the way. And he's, he's quietly had a really strong start to the season, something like 20 points per game, four threes per game. I mean, I, before every game opposing coaches – uh, mention him among the key factors in slowing the Pacers down. So one, I, I don't think we mentioned him enough. Um, and then in general, too, I don't mind it. I don't get. Cu- I haven't got caught up in starting lineups too much over the last several years, especially because to your point, it's about minutes and who finishes games. And the one big difference with with Mather in that role is just kind of how you see the game evolve. To start the game, you don't know what, what to expect. Maybe what the opposing team does. One advantage here is it allows for him to sit on the bench to start games, be with veterans, be with an assistant coach. In those, they can see exactly what kind of defense, you know, Denver's starting out on. Or are they going to attack Jokic early on? Those sort of things. So when he goes into the game, he generally knows what's expected of him and the team.
1: Scott Agnes is our guest. Scott, you know the in, in watching last night one of the things I found interesting, Kevin and I were talking about it. I mean they they clearly have in Halliburton and Matherin two guys that seem to kind of know where the other is on the floor, which I think is important. But let me throw a name at you that that I think they were very high on and people need to probably know his name because I've got a feeling he's gonna be he's gonna be here a while and probably never be a star. Am I wrong in saying that about Nimhard and a guy that knows his role, but does it very well already and clearly is being acclimated towards being almost like in a three-guard lineup. I know that we're in positionless basketball, but it seems to me like things go well when he's on the floor.
0: No, you're exactly right. I mean, I think it was Halliburton was talking the other day at practice. He was like, hey, he was a, back, he was a point guard. You guys kind of figured he came in and slotted behind, you know, myself and D J McConnell, but he can play the two, he can play the three. You're going to see three guard, three guard lineup set up sets. And we've definitely seen that. And you're right. They've, they valued him as a first round pick. They really liked how he produced. He was one of the first players they brought, they brought in or were trying to at least bring in um, for a pre-draft workout. And then some hectic things um, playing issues happened and he ended up coming a few weeks later, but nonetheless, he's very, he carries himself very much like Mather they have, a lot of the same traits and how they don't get too caught up or overly emotional. They're just kind of steady guys out there. On top of that, he can shoot and he's also more of a pass voice first point guard, which I really like. So yeah, I I don't think he's necessarily any kind of all-star in the making, but he, he could be one of those steady players that is with a team for eight years.
2: Yeah. I think, um, you saw the winning plays he made at Gonzaga. Maybe not box mm-hmm. score stuff, but I feel like you've seen even some of that here in the NBA. Scott, last one from me. Um, and this is a little bit Turner related in the future of that position. And again, you know, I thought Goga looked like he was tanking there in the third quarter. <laughs> so maybe this is why this question's relevant for me. Do you think internally they think Isaiah Jackson can be an every night starting center in this league? I think they have
0: to. I mean, they have that. I think so, yeah, because they, they've been high on him. Um, you know, they, they like him adding weight in the offseason. They like how his development has come along. So I hell, think he's that's what? what
2: Is doing. he even 21? I mean, he's still so
0: young. No. no. I think he's just 20 still. And so, yeah, like, he. imagine, I like, I was talking with someone last night about, like, compared him with Trace Jackson Davis, just in terms of development, where they're at. One guy coming out after a year. The other you know ended up being in college, I think a lot longer than many of us suspected, and you know the development and which is better um that type of thing is really interesting, but to your point i think I think absolutely they they really like his, i think Jake has reiterated as well they're they are high on isaiah, his future, how he plays a little bit differently, how his rim protection is there, there's just other pieces uh, you know defending especially on the perimeter, things like that that. He just needs more experience and doing and to improve upon.
2: Gosh, he's two full years younger than Trace Jackson Davis. (laughs) Crazy, right? That's wild. That (laughs) is, man. That is. Um, Wow. Again, Scott Agnes, Fieldhouse Files, the nightly roundups. I really like what you've done with that this year, Scott. It's a great read. And uh, thank you for the Thursday chats each week.
0: Appreciate it. Looking forward to next week.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
2: Zach Keefer going to join us here in a few minutes. Something I want to throw at him, Jake, which I'll be totally honest, I'm not expecting a clear answer, but it's a question you have over these final eight games. What does Jeff Saturday have to do for Jim Mercey to say, you are my guy, 1,000%?
1: What does he have to do? Well, here's the thing. I don't know. I keep his hands on the steering wheel. Record-wise? I think if they show... I think that... Ursay is probably looking for some store, sort of return to consistency in the offensive line play. That's a unit that can only go up from where they've played, so advantage Saturday in terms of perception.
2: For Sam Ellinger's help, you health, you'd hope that.
1: I, I, I want to make very, very, very clear here that this is what I'm about to say is with zero knowledge or insight to back up what I'm about to say. But my feeling is that Jeff Saturday is the interim head coach of the Indianapolis Colts because Jim Irsay has been dying to get Jeff Saturday in the building, and he finally had an offer that enticed Saturday enough to leave his job and become an employee of the Colts. And that was simply to get his foot in the door. And now his role within the franchise only escalates
2: from here. Do you think any of that offer had a verbal promise for 2023? Yes. More than a verbal, probably, probably probably, probably some a, ways. You probably can't go. Probably to, uh, a
1: handshake agreement or understanding. But I think Urse probably said, "Jeff, it, Jeff, you know, I mean, we just, you know, want to get the band together, you know." But here's the thing: I don't even think it was that. I think that's when you hear those things from Urse, that tone, that what I impersonate, that's happy Ursay. I think this was more. The all chips in, like the, the angry Ursay, the frustrated Ursay, the at his wits' end Ursay. I think he called Jeff Saturday and just said, Jeff, man, like, you know, uh, I need you in the building, man. I need you here. And Jeff Saturday probably said, Well, in, in what capacity? And he said, Well, what if you filled in for the coach for a while and then we'll just we'll we will come up with the area where I need you? I, I think Jeff Saturday, I'm not saying that Chris Ballard is on his way out. I don't know that. But to me, all signs and stars seem to align that Jeff Saturday is going to have a massively increased role of relevance within the franchise beyond simply being the head
2: coach. Who has Jim Mersey's ear the most in that organization right now? It's now Jeff Saturday and not Chris Ballard. That's how I view it.
1: I, I think that's almost indisputable, don't you?
2: Which is odd when you think about how normal hierarchy in the NFL works and just how the the organizational tree works. Usually it's the GM above the head coach. I think it's the reverse in this case. And, and it also is interesting, and Ursay made this very clear on Monday night, there were no other candidates. This was not Jim Ursay saying there, yeah, it'll either be Bubba Ventrone or Jeff Saturday. It'll either be John Fox or Jeff Saturday man my interim. This is Jeff Saturday or Frank Reich is still here.
1: Kevin, how many coaches has Chris Ballard, as since Chris Ballard became the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts, how many coaches as the head coach has he watched on the field? Three? This will be the third, is that right?
2: Like coach a game? Yes. So a game head, how many count. head coaches? Yeah, Chuck, Frank, and Saturday. Okay.
1: Of those three, how many did Chris Ballard hire?
2: Yeah, none. Right. Yeah. And obviously the McDaniels one. He did hire. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's interesting. And
1: and Jeff Saturday is there because Jeff Saturday is the link to a unit that Jim Ursay craves to see play at that level again in offensive line. And so he goes out and gets Jim Ursa, or he goes out and gets Jeff Saturday to come in partially to repair the offensive line or give influence to them. And that is the one area above all others that Chris Ballard claimed that he could
2: fix. Again, I think Ursay likes the personnel, which means he would agree with how Ballard's operated there. But obviously, we'll see how that plays out. All right, let's head to the Payless Lickers hotline. Zach Kiefer from The Athletic joins us. Zach, um, I want to begin here. The locker room yesterday, your general reaction to how players um, viewed the Frank Reich news and then how they view the initial Jeff Saturday team meeting.
5: Yeah, they didn't shy away from sharing their frustrations about the Frank Reich hiring, firing. Excuse me, um, They were gutted. I mean, these guys were gutted. I don't think I've ever heard Quentin Nelson be this forthcoming. I mean, he kind of blamed himself. He nearly got emotional. I mean, these guys, they love Frank. I think that was pretty obvious. Frank's a great human being. It's easy to see why these guys had an affinity for him. And they also didn't shy away from sharing their utter Disbelief and shock that Jeff Saturday was named interim coach, and I'm and I'm glad they didn't because the shock that we all felt, they all felt, and they would found out the same way we did with buzzes on their phones. And the manager was in the weight room, and Isaiah Rodgers was playing, not even at home when his phone started to blow up. That's how he found out Jeff Saturday was going to be the new coach. So um, they were stunned. I mean, there's there's no precedent for this, and I think they're. Uh, it seems like they started to settle in yesterday. You know, Jeff Saturday. He shined on Monday night, and I thought he shined yesterday in the press conference. And if Jim said got anything right, in my opinion, it's that Jeff Saturday has something to him. We can see that. You can feel that when you're around him. Now, the coaching stuff is a completely different animal, but I think he won them over with that team meeting yesterday.
2: Zach, I thought there was an interesting word Sam Ellinger used yesterday in describing Saturday. We heard, you know, high energy, intense, juice, all of that. That's obvious. Like, we felt that. You even felt that Monday night when Saturday spoke. You obviously felt it Wednesday when he talked with us. So, I think that is obvious. He's, he's kind of a 180 from Frank Reich in that. I thought a key word that any interim head coach needs to make sure players feel, the word Ellinger used was transparent in that Saturday, I think, has a really good grasp right now of being like, guys, I get how this looks. (laughs) This looks Mm -hmm. weird. Like, my resume does not mean this. But, you know, can you just trust me and give me the opportunity to earn your trust, I guess is the better way to put it. I thought Saturday with us, and I think in that locker room, um, in that team meeting, it seems like he got that across to players of like, I understand. I've been in your shoes before. I'm going to try and earn that.
5: Yeah, that, that's the right approach. There's a lot of humility that he walked in with. He could have walked in and said, you guys are terrible. This is all broken. That's why I'm here. And he didn't. And and then the other part of that, KB, is like the coaches. Like he was he was elevated to this role without the c- proper credentials when a lot of these guys were probably initially ticked off that they didn't get the opportunity. Gus Bradley, Scott Milanovic for the play calling duties, um, you know, uh Bubba Ventril who I thought was going to be the interim. I mean John Fox. Like this was out of nowhere. And so I think he has the ability to bridge that, to really smooth that over. And in terms of accountability, this is this is something I I saw last night and I wish I could remember the Twitter handle that that threw this out there. But what is the other coach Jim Mercy has been chasing for a long time in terms of he really envies the way this coach does things. It's Mike Vrabel in Tennessee. And so this Twitter threw out to me like This is sort of like his Mike Vrabel. Now, just that he doesn't have the coaching qualifications, but he's a guy that's going to walk in with a pedigree as a former player that's going to mean something, and he's going to hold these guys accountable. And I think in some small way, that's relevant here.
1: Zach, is Chris Ballard with the Indianapolis Colts one year from today?
5: I think so. I think so. I'm not putting a whole lot of stock in Jim Merce's answer Monday night because two weeks ago he said Frank Reich was safe. I think so. I think he really does like Chris. Now there are some things that have been indefensible, especially on the offensive line. Um, but I think a full rebuild is not what something if not something Jim Mercy is looking to do right now. And the other thing is the other thing is, if you're a GM candidate out there, if you're a head coaching candidate out there, and they will interview several come January, do you want to come to this? This team used to be pretty appealing, right? They, they won pretty consistently. It was a well-run organization. The owner stayed out of the way. That is not the case right now. The last three major decisions have been made by the guy at the top. And that has to play into the minds of general manager candidates. So, um, I, I would tend to think that Chris Bauer is here, but it a lot depends on how the next eight games go.
1: Do you think that schematically, and maybe this takes a couple of weeks. I can't imagine it being the case right away. But will Jeff Saturday bring schematically any sort of a different look to the Colts, or does he basically just kind of go under the the same playbook outlook
5: of keeping his hands on the wheel? Yeah, that's that's something I'm curious too about, Jake. And, and let's like let's be honest, like this is wild. They're going to have their third different offensive coordinator in three weeks like this is a team in disarray like their third different offensive coordinator in three weeks and Jeff Saturday made it very clear yesterday this is this is almost ridiculous like Marcus Brady and Frank Reich did the lion's share of offensive game planning and they're both gone they're both fired and so you turn to Parks Frazier a 13 year old who was a quality control coach two years ago and Frank Reich's assistant four years ago so I imagine that Scott Milanovic and Parks Fraser are going to handle the majority of the offensive game planning, and that obviously Parks will call the plays on Sunday. I don't think Jeff Saturday oversteps his bounds in that regard. I don't think he's going to be changing the scheme. Um, he'll have his say, but I almost feel like he's more here to be like a CEO, like mm-hmm. an overseer, like a president of the team, if for lack of a better phrase. I don't, I don't know if he's going to get into the nitty-gritty X's and O's, but that might come in time.
2: Yeah, I think that's well said. Part of me does laugh though, imagining Jeff Saturday like popping on Hebron Christian Academy film and being like, you know, I think we should install some of the wing tee that we were running there against you know, Lawrence Central on it Homecoming. Didn't work very well. I mean, three and seven is last. <laughs> yeah, the record there was uh wasn't great. Um, Zach, you're extremely again. Zach Keeper from the Athletic is with us. Um, you're really plugged in um, inside of that building. Uh, can you kind of? Take us behind the scenes a little bit to how people reacted to uh, Jim Mercy on Monday night.
5: Yeah, it was not good, not good. I got I got a lot of messages, and they reacted honestly, like a lot of your listeners probably reacted. It, it wasn't a good moment for the Colts. Now, just how it was awesome. Like he's got something. I, I want to make that clear. Like he's a dude. Like he's for real. He's authentic, and I think the players will buy into him. But this is still an unprecedented coaching situation that he's walking into, and through no. Fault of his own. Um, I I thought it wasn't a great night for Jim Mersey. I thought you saw his impatience. He took some shots at the media. I thought you saw his ego. You know, when we asked several times why it's Jeff Saturday and not some of the other qualified candidates on your staff, and you guys just mentioned this, this is the craziest part in all of this. There was no plan B. It was either Jeff Saturday comes in as the interim or Frank Reich is still coaching this team right now, which is just crazy to me. And there was no real answer from Jim mercy on why it was Jeff Saturday besides I like him and I've been around this for 50 years and sometimes you just know so I don't think that's good enough that's not good enough to win in this week uh, Jim mercy has a track record but but just the way this all came together he calls him during the game and asks about the offensive line because he's angry that they're getting destroyed in Foxborough. and six seven eight hours later he calls him and says do you want to come coach this team like me he was getting ready for a full day of TV at ESPN, and instead he's coaching a team on Sunday that he didn't know all the coaches on Monday night when he got here. So it's hard for me to wrap my head around just how bizarre this was, but inside the building, they're reacting the same way everybody else did in terms of, that was not a good look, this is crazy, and what are we doing? Is
1: Jim Mercer too impulsive?
5: Yeah, I would think so. I would think so. And this is you know, Jake, you know this, like he has fought being the owner his father was for a long time, for twenty five years. He's gotten out of the way. And he's done a really good job of that. And that's why Bill Polian and talks so highly of this place and Chris Ballard and the people that have worked here. But this is this is this is a different this is a different stretch here. This is the third straight decision that he's made. Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan's benching, and Jeff Saturday that, that Chris Ballard hasn't made. And say whatever you want about Chris Ballard, the GM should be making those decisions. The GM should be making those decisions, and he's not. And that's just that's just exactly what they haven't wanted to do here for so long. It feels like this is an impulsive decision. Yes. Jeff Saturday feels like an impulsive decision.
1: Zach, you Zach Kiefer from The Athletic who joins us on the Payless Lickers hotline. You are around this as much as anybody. I mean, you and Kevin are, are around and in the inside trenches all the time over there. And I, I mentioned this to Kevin earlier this week. I want you, Zach, I want to give you the opportunity to also react or opine on this or give your, your thoughts on it. I had mentioned, you know, right now, I'm finishing taking college classes for the mere fact that I when I first did a go round of college 30 years ago, I failed at it. I was not good at it. I I was too immature. I was too whatever, but I was a failure. And that's haunted me for a long time where I just, for my own personal thing, it's, it's my white whale that I wanted to complete. Jim Ursay has really only held one job in his life. I don't mean that as a knock, and that was as the general manager of a football team. He worked in different capacities with the organization, but he was a general manager, and it did not go well. And that was 30 years ago, and it was a, a tenure where basically as a general manager, he failed. Are we now seeing before our very eyes, understandably so, Jim Irsay trying to recapture his white whale and subconsciously make amends with the things where he fell short?
5: No. No. I don't think so, and here's why. I, I think it's exactly what you mentioned before I came on the air. I think that he is, is just simply he's simply not ready to accept the fact that the glory days are not coming back. Like the upper quartile, the top quartile, the upper quartile. Like Jim, that's fine if you want to say that you're the fourth winningest team since two thousand. That's fine but Peyton's not coming back and Andrew's not coming back and you don't have an answer at quarterback. And the reason you're in the upper quartile of whatever is because you had an unbelievable run a historic run with just Saturday and Edgerton James and Marvin Harrison and Peyton Aene. But trying to recapture that, that's what I think is at the core of this gig, trying to recapture that to go back to that era, to have all the guys in for the ring of honor ceremony and to talk about Edgerton and the whole fame and all that. Like, to go back to that I think that is what has got them in so much trouble right now because you're not going to find that you're not going to find that again that was a once in a generation run and and I think that has led to some impetuousness and some ego like him up there saying on Monday night that he knows what it takes like Bill Polian built those teams Bill Polian built those teams not Jim Irsay and now Jim Irsay is putting his hands in the GM role and, and that's where it gets messy I mean where, where do you guys think this goes next year? Like, is there a lot of optimism about the 2023 season? No matter who the quarterback is, like, this team is going one way, and it's not up right now, and it's hard to see it getting better before it gets worse, and a lot of that goes back to Ursae trying to trying to go back to what he once had, and I just don't feel like
2: that's coming back. Boy, I couldn't agree more with just kind of the hopeless romantic about that previous era. I mean, that was 13 years ago. I mean, that it's is over. so, so long ago, and like you said, Bill Polian as GM and Peyton Manny as quarterback are not walking through that door. Um, I'll end with this, Zach, and again, Zach Kiefer from The Athletic, outstanding coverage from him, Bob Kravitz, James Boyd all week long. Uh, how does Jim Ursay evaluate Jeff Saturday over the next two months? Um, I'm kind of under the impression, Zach, of if Jeff Saturday wants to be here next year, he'll be here. Um, I don't know exactly what role, if it's front office or head coach, but I think if he wants to be here, he could convince Jim Merce to keep him around. But I was saying earlier to Jake, this is weird. This is an owner hiring a consultant that he has an emotional tie to. That's not typically how businesses operate. So how do you think Jim Merce can and should evaluate Jeff Saturday?
5: Yeah, it won't be pragmatically, right? Kind of like you just mentioned. It'll be based on emotion, which is what we've seen him make his decisions based on the last several instances. But, look, I mean, like, if you want to see if Jeff Saturday is a good head coach, this is not the situation to do it in. Like, this is unfair. This is unrealistic. Like, and maybe he makes something happen. Like, just, I don't know. The the NFL is weird. They have some talent on this team. Maybe they find it. But it's hard for me to see them doing that with this offense that I just watched in Foxborough. Um, I think you're right, KB. I think Jeff Sarrie could, could be here next year in some capacity in a lot of different capacities, like a lot of different ones I could see being realistic. I think if this goes well, he could basically name his position. Um, but that's the reality. Like I, I I feel like there's just no plan moving forward. And it's really hard to see who's going to be making the decisions because Ossie keeps saying that he's not making the decisions when clearly he is and so if you're going to let you know chris ballard be your gm then you need to let him be your gm but also how do you evaluate a coach who's walking into a season that is is about to fall apart really so um there's so many questions to answer i don't even know where to start when this season ends after their game against the texans in week 18.
1: do we have any idea zach what jeff saturday is getting paid or how long the terms were that he agreed to
5: no, we don't. Um, but Jeff Saturday made this very clear yesterday. He's here for eight games, and then it's a TBD. Then it's a we'll see. Um, I don't think Jeff Saturday knows if he wants to be the coach next year. I don't think he knows that 100%. He's admitted that. I think he's here to see. One, he's here because he loves this organization. He loves the guys in the locker room. He loves Jim Irsay. I think that's very obvious. And that's a noble thing. He, he, they, they needed help, and he's here to help. And I think that's there's something to say about that. But it's very, very up in the air what happens. And, and I think if it goes poorly, I think he'll say, I'm not the right guy, and he'll walk away hands clean. Um, I think it hurts his legacy one bit because of the fire that he was thrown into. But um, I don't know. What do you pay a coach for eight games in this situation? I have no idea. A million bucks?
1: If you know he's going to slide into your front office in some capacity a year later, yeah, probably. And I I, I I truly believe that Jeff Saturday is here fifty percent to coach the team and fifty percent to do a total overall inventory to Jim Say of what he's got and what he doesn't.
5: All Right. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Jeff. I think he wanted fresh eyes. Now there's a lot of ways to get fresh eyes without firing your coach and hiring a new one, but Jim Say does what he wants and here we are. But I think I think he wants a full evaluation of this organization top to bottom from someone who was outside the building in Jeff Saturday comes January 10th.
2: Zach, great work with your guys' coverage on the athletics. Safe travels to Vegas, and um, I guess I'll see you in a bit. All right, thanks, guys.